Oh, man. Uh, I do encourage you to come on Wednesday. Um, Tim and I were talking about this earlier. He's like, wait, should I come? I said, no, you slept through the whole thing. You can't, you can't come. Um, it, I'll just say it again, what she said. It's really important that we process things, especially us guys. We just feel like, ah, oh, we got it. You know, we're hand- I'm over it, whatever. It's important to process, them, uh, process the things that we experienced and the way that our brains handled it. Um, it's just important. So I encourage you to come. All right. Another thing that I want to say, uh, did anybody read the email? I'm just, this, is, this is a rough question. Did anybody read the email that I sent this week? Okay, come on now. That's what I'm talking about. I sent, if you don't know, I sent an email every week. It's called the Viewpoint Church Weekly Update. And there's all sorts of good stuff in there. Um, um, but one of the things I talked about this last week was that our worship leader, our worship and tech director, is going to be stepping down into February and, and relocating. Um, and if you've worked with Seth at all, you know what a, what a faithful guy he has been, how talented he is, and we are going to miss that guy a lot. I know I'm going to miss him on a personal level. Him and I have worked together for a lot of years. Um, but if you, he's not here today, not here today, um, and if you're watching online, tough beans. Um, I just, uh, what I said in the email was, I encourage you to, to think about times where the Holy Spirit has impacted you through a worship service where Seth was leading, something he said, something that came through him, uh, something that has meant something to you, and I would, I would write it down. I would write it down and give that to him or at least catch him in the next couple weeks that we have together and give him those encouraging words. There is something about being validated in the ministry that God gives you that's, that's a, a really healthy thing, really good and healthy. And so if I know there's question marks and all that, this move for Seth is a very good thing. It's a, it's a healthy thing. There's, nobody's fighting. Nobody hates each other. Everybody's good. We are sending him with blessing as he, uh, as he relocates. So, uh, Seth, we love you and we're grateful for you. It's been a, it's been a good two and a half year run here. So, um, honor where honor is due. Okay, are you ready? Open your Bibles. We're going to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 25 today. Today's message is called Perpetual Obedience. Perpetual obedience, not one-time obedience, not one-and-done obedience, not I'll think about it obedience. It's perpetual, ongoing obedience. See, obedience is a challenge for humans in general. You, you could say it's most evident in children, as they're learning the, the art of obeying, or at least pretending like they're obeying, right? Uh, we are naturally a rebellious and obstinate, I, I was going to say people, but we're all people. So we, creation, there we go. Uh, and that means you too. You are rebellious and obstinate. I am rebellious and obstinate by nature. It's, it's in the, the nature. I, I don't look at me like that. I know. Who, me? Um, 
I remember as a, as a young man, I was, I was probably 17, 18. Don't stop me if I've told this story before. Um, <laughs> my job, I, I was told to do something and I did not want to do it and I fought it and almost successfully got out of it. But um, I, it, was, it was my job to mow the backyard. It was some of my siblings' jobs to pick the poops because we had a big dog. And uh, somebody didn't pick up the poops. I still needed to mow the lawn, and it really came down to I was just going to have to do it all. I was just going to have to do it. And that's what I was told. And I was instructed by my parental units to do this thing. Pick up the poops, or don't, but mow the lawn. Some of you have mowed the lawn and found a poop accidentally. That sound is in your brain forever. (laughs) And the smell that soon follows. You don't even have to wait for the smell to start gagging. It's just like, I was not having it. I was not having it. I was driving at the time, and I, uh, I hopped in my car and went off to wherever the thing I, I was wanted to do next. And, uh, and a voicemail popped through on my cell phone, my brand new cell phone at the time, um, from my dad saying, uh, you had better turn that car around <laughs> and come back and do this. And I, and I pulled over on the side of the road a little ways down, and I contemplated I was so angry. I was so angry. It was not right. It was not fair. And I was going to have to do this. And I was being told to do this. Uh, And in the end, I don't know how, but I made the decision to come back and do what I was told. I don't think I talked to anybody for a week, but uh, I I was mad. But I did what I was told. Obedience is hard. Generally, when you're told to do something, it's not because you wanted to do it already. And I did not want to do that. In today's message in Acts chapter 8, we're reading about Philip. And there's a couple times in this narrative where the Holy Spirit gives him specific instructions that he would not have thought about himself, and he had a choice to obey or not to obey. And the way that the story plays out is because of his obedience. So let's pick up in verse 25. So when they, the apostles, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And, as, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran and heard him reading, ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, it's out of Isaiah 53, and he was led as a sheep to slaughter 
And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we dig into this today, would you speak something fresh to us? Would you turn light bulbs on? Would you make connections that we would not naturally make? Would our ears be tuned to you? We come humbly to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what's going on as we hit this passage? This starts in the city of Samaria. Uh, The great persecution had broken out after Stephen was killed in Jerusalem. The church scattered, and Philip had gone down to Samaria and began preaching the gospel there. The city responded. They they gave their life to Jesus in, in great numbers, and there was joy in the city, and there was great wonders and signs and crazy stuff happening all over the place. Philip was the guy who was kind of in charge of this. Philip, we know, is kind of an administrator uh, because he was one of the seven. He was one of the seven that were selected to to administrate the distribution of food and care to the widows and orphans in Jerusalem before they all fled. Um, So we know that, that... He was capable, and so here he is in Samaria. He's running this ministry. God had brought him there and established the ministry. The apostles heard about everything going on, the rest of the the apostles in Jerusalem, and they came to check it out, and they also led everybody in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why Philip didn't take that step with him, but he, he led them all to Jesus. The apostles came, and they laid hands on everybody, and everybody's filled with the Spirit also validating Philip's ministry there. Things were cooking. Yet at the height of this revival going on in Samaria, God gave Philip a different set of orders. He said, get up and go somewhere else. And this was not really something that a logical, administrative-minded person would think. Ah, things are going fine. I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere else for a while. It didn't really make sense, especially when things were going well. You want to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Things need maintenance and and administration. You keep going with that. You don't let things just do what they're going to do. The Holy Spirit said, go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It even tells us it's a desert road. There's a lot of desert in that part of the world, but this was a desert road. Uh, It says down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is way up in the mountains, so everywhere is down from Jerusalem. 
Uh, it was going down towards the coast. Gaza is on the coast. Gaza is still part of our uh, world political uh, chaos today. Um, it was a Philistine city, and so, but it was also part of the main trade route that would go south. Uh, it, it was shooting over to Gaza and then joining what's called the King's Highway, which would go down into Egypt and the rest of Africa. Okay, so Philip listens, he hears the Holy Spirit, and he chooses to obey. He gets up and he goes. The Bible doesn't say anything about hesitation or deliberation or trying to figure out if this is the right thing to do. He just did it. Now, on the other end of this story, we have the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, I'm, I'm going to explain that word and then move on from that one, okay? So a eunuch, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 19.12, is either an emasculated man, and this is why we're going to say this and move on, uh, um, and, and many political leaders or, or helpers in various societies at that time would be um, emasculated early on so that their hormones changed differently and they could be trusted with very sensitive matters. That's, that's essentially why they did that. So, uh, but then there were also men born uh, without the ability to be married and, or have children, or there was a man who remained unmarried in order to dedicate his efforts to the work of his office. Uh, this was not as common, but Jesus says it's, it's an option. Jesus says it's one of, one of those three. So all we know is that his title was a eunuch. We're going to call him an official, okay? Because that's what I want to call him. Um, but he's, he's a court official for Candace, which is a title for female royalty in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is a district uh, in the north of Africa, much larger than the, the current country of Ethiopia. Um, and there is a, a queen. This is the same place where, uh, where a queen, the queen of Sheba, came to see Solomon uh, years and years ago. And so same, same part of the world. Probably not the same dynasty because it's, you know, it's been a minute. But, um, so that, that's who he is. He's an he's a officer, an official in the court of the queen of the Ethiopians. He's, he's a very trusted man. He's successful. He's in charge of all her treasure, which means he managed her financial affairs. He was the financial officer. He was the CFO. He was successful by the world standards, but obviously not content to just do the Ethiopian thing. He is a proselyte. He is uh, a, a Gentile that has converted to Judaism. He is at Jerusalem to worship. And we see this, this was not uncommon There was because the Jews had been scattered all over the world a couple times at this point, and, they, and some people came to faith in Yahweh because of this because of their exposure. And so he, he came to Jerusalem to worship. So he is, he is, at this point, seeking truth. He is on a journey that the Holy Spirit has him on. He's seeking. And I don't know if maybe you've, you've been through a period of this, like this in your life where, where the Holy Spirit, if you look back, you can see that the Holy Spirit was guiding and putting certain conversations in place and, and certain pieces of information and, and drawing you wooing you, that's what was going on with this guy. His actions um, demonstrated here that we see here he was worshiping at the temple. 
And, and he's got a scroll, of the, a scroll of Isaiah, which would have been a very pricey purchase. This was not just, uh, you can't, it was not, uh, they didn't print books like this, right? So there's scrolls, everything's hand copied, things are expensive that way. He had a scroll of Isaiah. And so he had invested in that. He was, he was all in. He was serious about finding out what God wanted him to know. He was serious about finding God and knowing him. And now we've got Philip who has decided to obey and the Ethiopian who in his way is obeying as well. And the Holy Spirit orchestrates this meeting. This was not happenstance. This was not uh, just a Coinkadink. This was the Holy Spirit arranging a divine appointment. And the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. Philip didn't know. He was just obeying. The Ethiopian obviously didn't know. He's reading this going, what? So the Ethiopian is sitting there. He's studying Isaiah and he's frustrated. He's frustrated. And the Holy Spirit told Philip, here's the second thing that he tells him. He says, run up to that chariot. I always, as a kid hearing this story, I imagined that this chariot was moving, which would require running. And that was another miracle in my mind. It was, you know, kind of like Elijah out running uh, Ahab's chariots in the Old Testament. Um, however, if he's sitting there studying a scroll... I'm going to go ahead and just change that assumption. They were sitting still. They were sitting still because you'd be doing this, trying to read that thing, and then you're reading Hebrew. So it's backwards, you know, right to left, and it could have been Greek. It could have been Greek as well. But I'm going to go ahead and assume they were, they were stopped for the moment. But in any case, Philip's response to the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit says go up, it says he ran up. Which, whether or not that chariot was moving, it really becomes immaterial. The important thing was that Philip responded immediately and moved quickly in the direction the Holy Spirit said. It was urgent. So he moved. So he's going, what's going on? The the, uh, Ethiopian official says, I don't understand what I'm reading. How could I possibly understand this? And Philip began with that passage in Isaiah, and he took him through the scripture to show him that Jesus was the one that Isaiah was talking about. Jesus was the Messiah. Kind of similar to the way that Jesus opened the eyes of the men on the road to Emmaus. He worked through all the scriptures and just explained everything to them. They had some time here in this chariot, and they just, he just explains everything. He started right where he was at, and he was explaining through Scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. The Ethiopian, already, already being in earnest and truthfully seeking, today we call that intellectually honest, because sometimes you, you, know, you look for answers, but you don't really want to know. This guy really wanted to know, and he was already in that place. So as Philip explained it to him, it was immediate faith, immediate belief. And then he wants to, he wants to get baptized. They baptize. What an exciting moment for Philip. Just to, to be in that moment, having stepped out to follow the Holy Spirit, and then just things happening like this, it's wild. And then just a little, little mysterious icing on the cake 
for Philip is that he just gets translated away from that. <laughs> about 20, 25 miles east or northeast from here, um, without traveling, without, without getting his feet dirty, he's, he's in another city. And uh, uh, another Philistine town, more Gentiles and historical enemies of the Jews, but never mind, he just got translated there, so he's probably okay with it. Uh, and he kept preaching in all the villages and cities as he went up the coast of the Mediterranean until he got to Caesarea. Man, what, what a story. I particularly like Philip because he also had four daughters. I have four daughters. Now, all we know of Philip's daughters in Scripture is that they were, they were prophets. I'm okay with that, but, but they were unmarried prophets. I'm not sure I want to go all the way with that because uh, I'm hoping for some grandkids at some point. Uh, my teenage daughter is wincing in the front row right now. All right, what can we learn from this? A couple things. I, I, I tried really hard to make it three things. I only got two. We're just doing two. The first thing is this. The end cannot be seen from the beginning. The end cannot be seen from the beginning. Philip had no stinking clue what was coming on the road to Gaza. All he knew was the Holy Spirit said, get up and go. He just did. Now, he couldn't know that. You can't know what's at the end. Neither can I. Why? Because we are finite creatures placed in a timeline. Our perspective is squashed down to this line right here. While God is outside of that, and he can see all of it at once and can be involved in all of it at once, it's just, you can just bend your mind around that for ever. We are on that timeline. We can't know what's coming in the end. We rarely understand what's come before us. But in this chapter, if we just call this right here, this moment, the first chapter of whatever is coming, we don't know how the book ends. We don't know what is coming. Spoilers are pretty rare. Now, there's some things in Revelation that are really fun to, to uh, read and study. There's some, some prophecies that speak about what's coming in the end. But spoilers in general are pretty rare for our lives. Now, spoilers, uh, I mean, we have movie spoilers, right? Or, or if there was a football game on right now, which there isn't yet, there's one coming in a little bit. But if you were recording that at home and involved here all day at church, some of you will be, um, and, and somebody was on their phones you know, watching the game, you'd say, no spoilers, I'm going to watch that later. Don't, don't watch. And then you go home and you watch it, but, it, but it's already happened, right? It's already happened. It's, it's, it's not the same as somebody telling you what's going to happen, right? So, so it would be, that's, that's a different kind of thing. Or, or, or with movies, right? The movie has already been recorded, it's in a theater, and you can, you can get spoilers, you can, you can YouTube them or whatever and, and find out what's going to happen, but it's something that's already happened. Philip, in this case, has zero intel about what is going to happen, when, why, who, nada. 
He doesn't know anything. He knows where he's going and that's it. Philip's life kind of was like this a little bit. When we first met him, he was in Jerusalem, selected as one of the seven, and he had to say yes for the first time that we're aware of. He said, yes, I'll, I'll do what, what I'm being asked to do, what the Lord has given me to do. He was one of the seven in charge of administering food and care to the widows and orphans. And then, and then after that, he, he couldn't have known what was coming after that. What came after that? Stephen, his buddy, another one of the seven, got murdered. He didn't see that coming. He didn't see the great persecution that came, that came after that. He didn't see that coming. He didn't know that he was going to end up in Samaria. He just did what he knew to do. Faithfully ministered. He, he heard the words of Jesus, be my witnesses, and he just, he just obeyed. He just did it. Faithfully ministering in, in Samaria, he could not have known how they were going to respond. They're Samaritans, after all. And, and, but then revival breaks out. At each step of Philip's journey, the little bit we know about him, all he had was the next step that the Holy Spirit was giving him. And was asking him in each moment. He was not told what would happen after he obeyed. Every step was an act of obedience. I've, I've said a number of times, probably in conversations with many of you, that if we knew what came after obedience, we might not obey then either. <laughs> If God showed us what the end of our life would look like and everything that we would go through on the way, how many of us would, would still willingly sign up? Because we don't really like his methods. We think it ought to be a little bit more magical. Right? So the first thing is that the end cannot be seen from the beginning. You are a finite creature... And he is an infinite creator. You cannot see what he sees. The second thing is obedience is always a thing. It's always a thing. And it always will be a thing. If we were to define obedience, we've said the word a lot, it would be to comply with or follow the commands, restrictions, wishes, or instructions of someone in authority over you. For example, children obey their parents, or at least they're learning how to obey their parents. Parents are in that authoritative role and are actually charged with preserving that child into adulthood. That's their job. And so hopefully, with, when they get there, they've got some decent life skills and wisdom to go along with being physically preserved. But the, the parent is charged with that. The parent is the one in authority, and the child is to obey the orders given by the parents, even if it's mowing the backyard with the giant dog poops. <laughs> At some point in that child's life progression, the roles change and the child becomes an adult on their own and there is no longer the authority present in that relationship. Um, different families process things different and, and so I, I just 
in this room, I know of different, like there's way different kinds of relationships. But this is where it's crucial that they have been taught how to obey. Right? You don't just make a kid do what they're supposed to do because it's your job to, to make sure they live. I mean, that's a part of it, for sure. And some days, it really comes down to that. But the, the big thing behind making sure a child knows how to obey is so that when the Holy Spirit talks to them, they can obey. Their mind knows how to process that way and do it. When a police officer says, do this, then they don't end up in a world of hurt because they didn't. Because they know how to obey. They know how to respond in the affirmative when given an, an order or an instruction from somebody in authority. In our relationship with God, we never grow up to the point of being on the same level as God, right? There are some religions that teach that. Not true. Not true. You are a finite creation. He is the one who created you. You will never be at a point where you understand everything that he understands and therefore don't need to hear from him anymore and, and got it all figured out. I believe even in heaven, even in heaven, we will be forever discovering who he is and discovering more about him. The angels that circle the throne say, holy, 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 forever. And they're angels, right? So we're going to get there. It's not going to be boring, trust me. It's not going to be boring. I say that to say, we're not, we're not going to outgrow our need for obedience. We do want to grow in certain areas. We want to grow to, to know him well enough to know that this is the way he thinks about people. This is how he values people, and so that can guide my actions. And I don't need specific instructions from the Holy Spirit in that moment, to know that I ought to do this for somebody. I ought to treat people this way. We want to grow that way. We want to mature that way. But we'll always be learning about him, and we'll always be trying to be more like him. Philip was a regular guy being used in powerful ways already. So in a sense, he had, he had attained something. He had, he had grown and matured, but he never outgrew the need to just obey the Holy Spirit. He still needed to hear, still needed to follow and obey. And just like that, we never outgrow our need to obey. We never outgrow our need for the grace of God. This is, you don't just acknowledge it once and then you're good. You need that in your daily life. You need the mercy of God. You need the grace of God always. And just like that, we will always be in a place where obedience is needed. This means that God is always speaking to you. He is always leading, guiding, directing, course correcting. Sometimes we miss him. Sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes we hear him and we choose not to obey. There's some examples of that in Scripture too. Although many of us don't have to go to Scripture to find an example of that. But God will always be speaking to us. He'll always be in relationship with us. And there will always be change and growth needed. Although 
you and I will never get ahead of God and do what he would do before he tells us in that sense. We can grow into the, the children that he has created us to be. There, were, there will never be a time when my children, while they are children, don't need to obey. Philip never reached that point. He didn't need to make a conscious decision to, uh, he never reached the point where he didn't need to make a conscious decision to obey God. And neither will you, neither will I. I guess if I, if I had a third point, it would be this. Obedience gets results. You remember the story of, uh, of Saul, the first king of Israel, and he, he was in a, in a tight spot. He, need, he felt like he needed to do something. He had instructions from the prophet, uh, you know, from God through the prophet to wait, and, and he'd end up not waiting and making some bad decisions, and it really revealed some things about his heart. But what did Samuel say to him as he was rebuking him? He said, he said God desires obedience, more than sacrifice. <clears throat> Sometimes we can conflate issues and, and do things and, and serve and, and you know, be involved in various things or, or various activities in our life and, and make sacrifices even, stuff that's hard. While at the same time not listening to things that the Holy Spirit would tell us. It w- it's actually easier to sacrifice and, and do this than it would be to, to obey in this area of my life because that's going to be painful. But obedience puts you in line with the Lord's will. The Lord's, the Lord's plan for you where he can more easily bless you, where he can more easily provide for you and, and help you make proper decisions, where he can protect you. When you decide that you're not going to obey and you're going to go, you know, he doesn't abandon you, you just make it really difficult for him for, to do anything for you. The Ethiopian heard the gospel. He gave his life to Jesus and was saved. Those were the results of Philip saying yes and obeying. Also, where he got, you know, he ended up down on the south part of Israel and, uh, and worked his way up the coast and ministered to all those villages and towns. He might not have ever left Samaria if the Holy Spirit hadn't have said that. In my life, I'd, I've seen obedience change me and, and change my life. I, I think of my, the mission trips that I went on as a teenager. I really felt like God wanted me to do it. To this day, I believe every teenager should do it. We were just talking about that the other day. Every teenager should go on mission trips to, to, some, to somewhere where they got it worse than we got it. I obeyed when God said go. He touched people through me which would not have happened if I had not gone. But he also changed my heart, and he grew me in the process, and that would not have happened if I had not obeyed. Conversely, disobedience will not get you the results you want. Imagine Philip saying no 
And they probably wouldn't have made the scriptures, but <laughs> they, just, they just felt Jonah was enough. We didn't need more examples. All the ministry that, that happened as a result of his obedience would have gone undone. All the divine appointments that followed would not have been possible because Philip was not willing to obey. But he did. God shows us more of who he is and what he's like through our obedience. I'll say that again. God shows us more of who he is and what he is like and how he cares for us and how he loves us as we obey. We see him in action. We see something new of him as we obey and say yes. Okay. So we will always need to obey. What does it look like in our lives? You may today have been struggling with the Holy Spirit and something that he's asking you to do. Many times we choose not to obey or stall because we can't see what comes after that step. It's difficult to trust that it's going to be okay when I'm literally stepping out in faith and giving up a level of control over my own state or condition. That goes against my nature. Will it be worth it? What if I mess up and don't do it right? What if God messes it up? I mean, let's just be honest. What if God messes it up for me? What if God doesn't care about all the ramifications of my obedience? Family, reputation, embarrassment, financial provision, etc. In other words, can I trust that God has my interests and needs and desires in mind when he asks me to do something? And this is where obedience gets tricky. Because if I don't trust him, I will not obey. I will keep control. I will do things the way that I see fit. I will try and meet my own needs. I'll make things happen my way. And I will miss all the things that God has for me because I won't obey. Imagine Philip wrestling with this at each step of obedience. Would his own family be cared for if he stepped out into ministry of caring for others? Would they be safe as they lived a life of ministry in Samaria of all places? After Stephen's murder, would, would God allow them to meet a similar fate? In the end, obedience just comes down to trust. I trust God's heart for me is good. I trust that his wisdom and power are at work on my behalf as I obey him. I trust that he will care for my needs as I make sacrifices to obey him. Trust. Another place that you or I could find ourselves is a place of complacency. It looks like this. Not seeking and searching actively for him. 
and therefore not hearing his voice at all. You don't have a chance to disobey. You're not listening. You never heard him. You were unaware. We see the Ethiopian official in this, in this story is seeking. He's listening. And God meets him there. Philip has practices and, and disciplines of listening and hearing. And the church in Samaria, just like Jerusalem, was a church of prayer. They were listening. They were seeking. They were pushing for more of God. And in that place, we will hear him. But if we're cool with what we got, if we're relaxed, if we're uh, content with the level of God that we have experienced thus far, then we're not listening. We're not, we're not available to hear him speak in regular fashion. Sometimes he'll find a way. And that's generally not the way you want to hear God. We may feel like we've done enough in our lives and are at a good place to hang out for a while. We're going to coast. We're going to cruise control this. And maybe we're just going to retire in this place right here. But our relationship with God does not ever reach that point because obedience is perpetual. This is how God's relationship with us works. This is how we discover more of who he is. We obey, we follow. Even on the other side of eternity, we will be discovering. Since there's always more to know, learn, absorb, we will never be kicked out of the nest, so to speak, like we do with our kids. He will always be in the role of authority, we will always be submitting ourselves to him and his goodness and his greatness. We will always be in a place of perpetual obedience as it was meant to be. So today, as we hear his word, pause for a moment to consider where your heart is before him. What is he speaking to you? What is he saying? Are you listening? Are you trusting? Take a moment and consider. Take a moment to listen. Holy Spirit, we're listening. We're not sure how it'll work out. We're not sure how to... Most of the time, we don't really even know how but we trust that you'll guide us each step of the way. And Lord, today we commit afresh to obey when we hear you, to step out in faith, trusting your goodness and your goodwill for us. Lord, help us to listen. Thank you for your gracious speaking to our hearts today. As we see Philip's example, we're encouraged and convicted again. That's what your word does. Holy Spirit, help us to listen better and to obey more. We want to see the fruit of obedience in our lives. We want to be used by you. We want you to use us to, to reach the lost around us. 
as we know you more, we trust you more. And Lord, we want to grow in this area. We want to see more of your work in our lives. We want to be able to obey easier. We want to trust your goodness more. You are good. You are kind. You are loving towards us. And you are worth our obedience and voluntary submission. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Would you stir these things up in our heart even as we go this week? Prick our conscience and help us keep our ears open. Lead us to that place where we can hear you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you go into this next week, may you go full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May you hear his voice clearly and then obey him. Amen.